Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Philip Boyd is an educator, school district administrator, and nonprofit leader. He spent 10 years practicing law in commercial litigation, labor and employment law, and as a St. Louis County prosecutor. Philip's leadership lessons stem from his time in the U.S. Marines and U.S. Navy. Tonight, we're discussing those lessons over a glass of Booker's straight Kentucky bourbon while listening to Love Supreme. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. I'll tell you, Philip, one of the things I have always been impressed with you about is the fact that, uh, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, you've got such varied experiences. Um, Occasionally, you will find people with the courage to join the military and join the Marines, but you don't find people that will join the Marines and then go into the Navy and then go into education and then study law and become an attorney. And, and I thought at one point you said you were thinking about becoming a doctor. First of all, what drives you to have such a varied learning experience? And then number two, what have been the benefits of you having such a varied, deep experience in all these areas what's been the benefits that you've seen in the work that you do now uh, because of that experience i think that i have wanted to pursue different opportunities to experience knowledge Uh, i've wanted different opportunities to explore ideas you know i feel i feel lucky in in this respect Actually, a lot of respects. But growing up, I would definitely consider myself a nerd, right? I definitely, as someone said, you're 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 a blurred, and I'm just like absolutely, right? Growing up, I loved science fiction. I loved comic books. I loved fantasy. And at one point, I remember, I don't, I don't know how it was when you grew up, but like you know, every year we would get the scholastic books 
little like kind of magazine that you could yeah, yeah. you know fill out and then you you could then you know you could get so many books and then they'd have the they bring the books in and they they create these stands with all the books that you could order and everything but like my parents they basically never said no to books and when i was growing up the local library system had a library that was about a mile from our house and in the summer we would sometimes when i was in elementary school my mom would walk with us that mile to the library and she would say, all right, you can bring home however many books you can carry. Right. And so the idea of the being able to explore through books, being able to just think about things through these different genres, it just made me want to be like, okay, there's like so much to experience in life. And I will not allow anything to tell me that I can't experience things, right? Most cool things that like has emerged over the last kind of 20, 25 years has been this idea of like um, Afrofuturism and the expansive idea of what blackness is and a blackness that is not at all confined or defined by its uh, relationship to whiteness. Right. Right, It is about recognizing the possibility of blackness, the genius of blackness. It's really an opportunity to to create our own narrative. We haven't really had extensive periods where we could literally create our own narrative. To your point, uh, absence of being the opposite of something else. Right. Right. And I think that like I, you know, looking back on things, it was just like I had this Afrofuturistic experience. And it wasn't just me because I felt like some of the other, you know, brothers that I had around me in my childhood, it wasn't like we didn't have an understanding of ourselves as black because Indiana is a racist place. Right. It wasn't like we didn't understand that. But it was also about like saying, oh, like, yeah, I dig that. Like I it, even like when it came to like music, it was just like my like what I loved about growing up was was that like I was really into heavy metal and I was into rap. And for me, there wasn't a contradiction. You know, when I started playing the tenor sax as a kid, I got to my dad's collection. And my dad, like, had original albums from Coltrane, Sonny Stick, from Jimmy Smith. I mean, just the stuff to blow your mind, right? And it was just like this whole other thing. Like, when I got to um, middle school, like, eighth grade and into high school, like, listening to jazz albums and being like, like, whoa. It, it was interesting because, you know, I, I had an appreciation for like David Sanborn, but like that was like a totally different type of, yeah. he was a totally different type of artist. But it was a friend of mine that introduced me to David Sanborn because he was in a, into the sax. He played baritone sax, but his parents had introduced him to David Sanborn. So I was like, oh, I listen to David Sanborn. But then, dude, like, have you ever heard Paul <laughs> Train's album Training In? You Leave Me Breathless? Oh, uh. like, whoo You know, a, a, a friend of mine, helped me to identify what I have felt like years later. And it was this idea of the joy of Black genius. Wow. And that's what jazz, not only jazz, but jazz is one of those things that I look at and I'm just like, whoo, like it is such a gift. Yes, yes. It is such a gift. So for me, I love jazz music, literally. And I also love the metaphor that it represents for me. 
in that a lot of people will think that it's just people up there spontaneously jamming. And there is some of that. There is a place for that. A lot of people are surprised to know that there's a lot more structure to it than they're thinking about. There's freedom within a framework, but there's structure. And I I see life in many ways like that, where you've got the freedom to get to this place any way you want to, but you have to get to this place by this time (laughs) in this key (laughs) so that the next person can do what they need to do. But whatever you do between here and there, God bless you. And then to your point about this black genius, uh, I I heard a really, really cool story because I'm really big into Miles Davis. And so uh, I had an opportunity to his autobiography. It was an audio book of his autobiography. And he was saying that while they were recording Kind of Blue, which is like an iconic jazz masterpiece, mm-hmm. they recorded it in five sessions. In between sessions, I think three and four, there was like a three or four week break. In those three and four weeks, John Coltrane went off and recorded Giant Steps and then went back to Miles Davis for the next session of Kind of Blue. And and Giant Steps is like another iconic jazz masterpiece, but literally in the span of five weeks, two masterpieces were created with the same person playing saxophone which is just amazing to me. And they sound totally different from one another. Yeah, I, I just think, did you ever um, read the liner notes to Love Supreme? No, no, I have not. So, you know, by the time he writes and composes Love Supreme, he's had a serious journey as a person, right? He'd gone through drug addiction and had gotten into this really interesting spiritual space, right? Which was sort of this... <laughs> Very interesting mix, right, of he had been exposed to Islam, he'd been exposed to Buddhism, he'd been exposed to some Hindu traditions. And so he writes this poem, basically. I mean, it is, it is, okay, no, no, I can't call it a poem. It is a prayer. And I got to tell you, you, when you get a chance, read it. It is beautiful. Like, it is one of those things that the first time I read it, it just gave me such pause. When I read it now, it gives me pause. Because, you know, he he got into this space where he was just like, basically, look, I'm playing because I know the most high is working through me. Mm. And that's what this is about. So <laughs> you all take what you want. Yeah. But I'm just trying to reach this higher self right through what i'm playing and through my through my practice and everything people i don't think we realize just how powerful and expansive blackness can be and i know people could disagree but i felt like what john coltrane did was a just an amazing example of black genius and quick aside so when my father died And we were putting together, you know, like sort of the programming for his wake. And uh, you'll appreciate this. My sister and I had put together this slideshow from his life. 
And uh, the uh, soundtrack was both Sketches of Spain and Kind of Blue because it encapsulated so much. And it was interesting because as devastated as I was, it was such a celebration. I mean, it, it was. I knew he would have been like, okay, y'all got this right. <laughs> y'all got this right. We have to do this. And it was just like, and, and, you know, me and my sister were talking, we were like, well, of course. Like, she was just like, yeah, of course. Of course we're going to be playing Miles Davis during his wake. It was, it was beautiful. Well, well man, I, I'll tell you, every conversation I have with you, I, I, I see a brand new dimension that I, I appreciate as much as the other things I've known about you. So it's like, you're always adding to reasons why I really like hanging out with you. So one of the things that I've promised uh, the audience with this podcast is that I would offer them an opportunity to hear pearls of wisdoms from folks who I believe have gotten it right. At least they have a perspective that can point us in the right direction. And you've shared so much insight and, and this conversation has been way too, way too brief, but what's one or two things that you would really encourage everyone to embrace, really think about, chew on that you want to leave them with? Mm, that's so difficult. I think given where we are with a lot of things like nationally, politically, I would say that I think it's really important that people take care of themselves. I think that finding and really embracing the opportunities and moments to center yourself and take care of yourself is incredibly important. You know, I think of myself, you know, as a, as a, as a husband and father, I think it's incredibly important that my children see that like, look, exercise. I try to meditate. I try to eat well. I, I try to make sure that I'm healthy because I want them to be healthy, but I also want to be there, right? I also want to be there. And I think, you know, as um, so this will be super kind of nerdy, funny, but like for my team, right? And we're for the last few Christmases and stuff. Like, so these are the things I've gotten them for Christmas. Like, I bought everyone a kettlebell, I bought them. A foam roller. I bought them um, workout bands and stuff like that, right? And and because I'm just like, we have to take care of ourselves. That is just it's a form of love, and it's it's also a form of readiness, right? I can't lead. I can't serve if I'm not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would I would say is that from a leadership standpoint, if you focus on really trying to figure out how you help people reach their potential. Oh my God, you will unleash so much capacity. And I think that's what gets forgotten so so many times is that leadership should not be about position. Like you, if you're in a particular position where you have this title, fine, you got that. That's fine. That's done. So the next magic, the next secret, right, is to say, okay, so I have these people around me. How do I help them discover their magic? How do I help them discover their strength? You will get so much out of people that way. Um, there's an old saying in karate. The mark of a true master is that they create other masters. So create the masters. That's it, man. I'll tell you, I, I think that's probably a, a good place 
to end this conversation because we could get into a whole lot of other things. Uh, but this has been great. And so let's toast out. Let's toast out. Yes. And I'll let you leave us, leave us with a toast and we'll say cheers on the other side. There you go. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.